Jonathan Macri, of course, with you coming uh, with another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. I am very, very, very delighted to bring to you someone who I have been a huge fan of from afar for um, quite a long time. She is one of my favorite writers out there today. Um, actually, who am I kidding? She is my favorite writer out there today, uh, writing about anything, but I love sports, and the fact that she writes about sports, it makes it all the better. Uh, Bleacher Reports, Mirren Fader. Mirren, how are you? I'm doing well. Oh my gosh, thank you for that intro. I appreciate it. No, it, you know, I, and that's, I'll, I'll start my first question with kind of the reason why I'm such a huge fan of yours, um, which is this. You know, I, I, we live in an era today where uh, everything has to be very compartmentalized, and it's like if you write about sports, it's like, okay, you're supposed to stick to sports, and you can't talk about anything other than sports. Well, you have taken that notion and you have absolutely destroyed it. Um, and I love that because you're writing about topics that, yes, they have to, they are sports topics, but they kind of are about issues that are, um, you know, bigger and, and more important in terms of society and like kind of life at large. And I, I just kind of want to ask you, is that something that, that you, always intended to do or did it just kind of happen I mean where, how did you get to this place yeah well thanks for that I mean I kind of subscribe to this radical notion that athletes are people I know it's hard to believe <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think the more the more you can talk about who somebody is and the issues that they face it's going to be more interesting at least just in my opinion more than just oh so and so is good at basketball or so and so is good at football and I think you know I really do want to hit those big issues whether it was you know writing about suicide or um, what it is to be a transgender athlete or even even just really the interior lives of, of athletes, I think they're so interesting. Um, I was an athlete, so maybe that's why I have that appreciation and why my approach is a little bit differently. Um, I grew up playing basketball all my life. Um, literally since elementary school, I picked up a ball and I just knew basketball was who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And um, yeah, I ended up playing my first year in college at Lewis and Clark College, but I knew I was sort of shifting away from the athlete side of me and I wanted to embrace the more nerdy side of me, which has <laughs> always coexisted. Um, so I, I was always a writer. I loved writing. And I thought, okay, let me merge these two together. Um, and that would be perfect. And so I really feel like I've found my, my passion here. And you know if I can help tell those interior stories about athletes, I feel like I'm doing my job. Well, I think it's it's probably best for us that um, you weren't too great at sports and that we have you <laughs> as a writer instead of, um, instead of as an athlete. Um, I'm happy you brought up that you were kind of uh, you gravitated to basketball because even though now you uh, write about uh, well I mean you write about basketball now too but you write about different sports um, I was just kind of looking back at your your past and your how you've come up through the writing game and that you spent time with Dime and with Slam which are obviously you know predominantly uh, those are basketball magazines so was it like um, did you ever did you see yourself becoming like a writer about basketball specifically and then it grew into something else or were you just kind of you know let me see where this takes me 
Yeah, it's a really good question. At first, I definitely was tunnel vision basketball. I used to put the slam ups all over my wall. I was Slam's number one fan. Um, and Do you I, remember I, the posters that would come? Yes. In the, yeah, those are great. That's, that's what I'm saying. I had all the slam ups on my wall. You I and was, me both. Yeah, no, I was obsessed. And I loved that. And so I was like, oh, I want to write about basketball. Um, but then, you know, as I kind of went on in my career, uh, my first job was at the Orange County Register. So I went there right after college as a staff writer and I was there for four years and the first day they were like you're gonna cover water polo and <laughs> and <laughs> I was like oh my god what is water polo um quickly find water polo for dummies you know and so I was just like okay uh this is a little different and then I had to do baseball and softball and golf and tennis and all of a sudden I was more well-rounded but then I loved it because what I saw was it's actually not about the sports. It's about the people. So it didn't matter what sport it was. I did hockey. I did skeleton. I did all these weird sports. And I ended up really falling in love with feature writing and writing about people and profiles. And then as I just sort of went on, I was like, you know, how can I also be best employed? Being best employed, I think, I shouldn't just stick to basketball. I should, you know, be available for, you know, all the months of the year. And once I realized that I didn't want to have a specific beat, I it freed me up. I kind of look at it as like every story is an adventure and I just kind of parachute in and it's nice when you have a college basketball story and then the, and then the next one you're doing an NFL story and you're just parachuting into different worlds and I I don't know, I just really love that. And I mean, to me at least it shows in your writing like obviously you um, you're going to talk about the John Morant piece that you just um, came out with a couple of days ago, which is excellent. And you could tell that you became immersed in that world. I, I guess I'm, uh, before we talk about it, the, the thing I was wondering, I'm like, well, how do you decide, like, uh, are you kind of guided towards certain stories? Do you completely have free reign in terms of picking your stories on your own? How does that work? I definitely don't have um, free reign like that, but I do pitch, I would say, like 95% of my stories, but it is a group effort, and um, we as a team, you know, they'll assign me things too, but, you know, when I have an idea, it goes through so many levels of approval, and, you know, we're, we're really careful about the things that we want to publish, and we want to have things that have interesting hooks, national resonance for sure, um, but the things that I go after are Number one, like I said, national resonance. It doesn't mean it has to be a famous athlete, but there has to be some sort of issue that is going to be universally um, worthy of discussion that people would be interested in. But I like to find people that are misunderstood or people that are on the come up because I think the most interesting time of an athlete's life is usually at the beginning or the end. Like the middle is not always interesting to me. Um, and also just something that hasn't been explored in depth. I, I sometimes look at articles that are really short or, you know, TV segments that are really short and I think, damn, I wish that would have been a 5,000 word thing. <laughs> and so <laughs> I might be the only one who thinks that way. No, I, um, <laughs> I, I thought you said that. Yeah. And it's like, I want more. And so my job as a writer is to give you more. And so transitioning to the piece that you just came out with, um, you definitely gave me, uh, cause like, so obviously there's a Knicks podcast and we're, Knicks fans and as is the lot um, in, in the life of Knicks fans um, you start worrying about the best college prospects pretty much at the beginning of every NBA season <laughs> because you know your, your team is not going to be very good so uh, John Morant has been a name that's been on the minds of Knicks fans for a while but um, 
there hasn't been a whole lot in terms of like you know like Zion. Everybody knew about Zion for a while. Ja kind of you know not that he came out of nowhere, but it was uh, I want to say kind of a meteoric rise. And I think you do a great job of painting that picture. Um, and I, I guess the first question I want to ask you is like, what is he like? Uh, what how would you describe this kid? Um, thank you for that. Yeah, he's he's so down to earth. And I know people are so tired of that cliche. But seriously, it's almost like you're talking to somebody who doesn't act like he's in the position he's in. You know what I mean? He sure. he's like, thank you for coming here and talking to me, um, huh. which is not, which is not the vibe that you usually get from athletes. It's like, yeah, I'll give you two seconds of my time, maybe. Or they just like ditch you and the interview doesn't happen. Um, That's almost you know, fun, I'm sure. Yeah, so much fun. Um, but Jaw is like very down to earth, and um, you can tell he's somebody that appreciates where he is, but he's not satisfied, and he's grateful and humble. And, you know, that's the thing about him is, you know, for a story, if you talk to over 10 people and all 10 people say the same thing about the person, you know, it's pretty likely like that assessment of him is true. And everyone I talk to about him says the same thing. He's so humble. And I think it's because he did have a meteoric rise. Nobody really expected much out of him. Um, people didn't come after him. But I was really kind of sick of the he came out of nowhere narrative because I felt like that's what everyone was writing about. And um, I think Jaws a, a great person to to talk about because it's not just how did they miss him. It's really like prospects. You've got to choose the best school that's right for you. And that's going to be different from other people. So that's sort of why I wanted to do the story. Yeah. And you wrote it. You wrote Morant didn't just end up at Murray state. He chose it, which I thought that was a, a great little nugget there. Um, he's, you paint a picture of someone who has really taken to this, that community and, and vice versa. Um, and the, I like how you write that um, he is, he doesn't have the type of person that, you know, a personality where he's going to like turn into a Hollywood, uh, you know, type, if regardless of where he ends up. What gave you that impression that he's going to like kind of remain the same type of guy no matter where his career um, heads off to? I mean, I think it was just kind of talking with him and asking him those questions, you know, what's the craziest thing you've gone through or how much has life changed? And, you know, he really kind of uh, resisted that. And he's like, look, I'm the same person I was before this happened. Um, I would still act this way in this interview, even if, you know, none of this ever happened. And um, I don't know, there's, you never, you don't know your subjects as reporters. And I think it would be uh, malpractice to think you know them and think you know what they're about just because you spend time with them and know a lot of personal details about them still you don't know them but I did get a human sense from him that um, he is gonna stay this way because he's not after fame and I think that's the thing that people sometimes misunderstand about athletes you know a lot of them have this burning desire in them to be great um, and to sustain greatness over a very long period of time which is hard to do and so they're not thinking about fame they're not thinking about life changing they're not thinking about um, being the big man on campus they just kind of want to go about their work they just want to do the work so that actually it reminds me of another part of the story where you write how um, he's someone that seems to get as much if not more enjoyment out of um his teammates uh making baskets off of passes that that he's made than when he scores himself and you know you quote his stats i mean he's uh i haven't checked in the last couple of days i don't know if he's leading the nation in assists but he's up there 
I mean, this seems like a guy who really is, you know, like a true point guard that also just so happens to be able to score at a ridiculous rate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a, a real big difference between somebody who's a good passer and a point guard. And you're totally right to say that he is a point guard through and through. And I think it's it's really rare when you have people that truly care about setting people up and not just care, but they get enjoyment. Like he literally feels great when a teammate scores. It's, it's fun when you watch him. He has genuine excitement. Um, but also I think what's rare is he's not just a point guard and able to do that, but he has insane athleticism. And I know you know this as somebody, you know, who scouts and looks around at prospects. Usually you just, you know, prospects have one thing. They're either a really good passer and that's their thing. Really good shooter, that's their thing. Athletic guy, that's their thing. He is all these things in one. And so I, I found that really intriguing. Like he's going to satisfy the basketball purists, the people that want to see the game played the right way, make the extra pass. But he also kind of satisfies um, basketball enthusiasts, people who live on Instagram and love the highlight. He he satisfies those people too. Yeah, no, you, I know. My favorite line in the piece actually is you wrote that he plays the right way and the entertaining way. I thought that was great. <laughs> no, no, sorry. Uh, what were you saying? No, I just said thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, no, it, it's... I, it's interesting to me because I feel so the Knicks have a, a player by the name of Frank Nilakina who is not uh, the most entertaining in terms of flash or sizzle or anything but it's for that reason that there's a lot of Knicks fans that, that like him a lot um, but it, it feels like in basketball today you have to it's very rare to get a guy that does both um, it's usually you have to pick or choose and I, I'm wondering you know given what he's shown so far in college, how do you think his game will translate to the next level? I mean, I think it's perfect for the next level, especially given that there's so much more spacing in the pros and it's, you know, so up-tempo and it's such a young game, right? He's really young. It's crazy to think about it. But, um, you know, he's often compared to Westbrook. He, you know, he has the similar production, athleticism, quickness, just kind of an electrifying guy in the same way. But um, what, why I think he will truly translate to the NBA is his leadership. And that's one of the things I really tried to show is he – he takes accountability even when it's not his fault. Like that scene in the, um, in the story about how like the, the center was dribbling the ball up the court and he was like, no, that's my fault. And the coach didn't single him out, didn't say, Hey, what are you doing? But he was like, no, I'm going to let everyone, I'm going to let my teammates know this was my fault. And I feel like it's leadership moments like that, that teams are looking for. Um, one quote that didn't make the piece that uh, I really liked, but I just couldn't find a place for it was his coach telling me that, you know, I tell him, I tell Jaw all the time, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you know, you're not going to get any more athletic as your career goes on. You've peaked athletically because it's insane, right? The yeah. things that he's able to do. And so the coach was like, my challenge to you is, so how do you keep sharpening your mind? And that's where I feel like Jaw's impact is going to be most at the next level is that IQ, that smartness, setting people up, making those passes. I think that's where you're going to see him begin to separate himself. Yeah, and the other part where you mentioned him being a leader, uh, you also kind of paint the the scene in the gym where I guess uh, some of his teammates were not having as much energy as he would have liked, and he got on them about that. It, does does he strike you as someone who 
you know, I, I feel like the rarest thing in the NBA is to have a guy come in like a, you know, a Tim Duncan is the classic example. Like comes in, immediately kind of sets the culture and the, the, the tone for a franchise from like the d- day one that he's there. Not to say that anyone's going to be on, on that level, but do you see him, you know, in that in that kind of mold? I do. And I think it's because they have similar demeanors. Like, you know, Duncan was not somebody that was, um, I mean, he, I'm sure he was like intense and tough on his teammates, obviously, but he's not like a yeller. So, uh, neither is Jaw. Jaw's kind of quiet, kind of soft spoken, but he will say what needs to be said. And I think he has that demeanor and he's also not asking his teammates to do stuff that he isn't doing. So I think, you know, Jaw works on his game religiously. And so his teammates see that and they respect that. Um, he, he has so much respect. Um, this anecdote didn't make the piece either, but he has so much respect of this team that when Shaq, uh, one of the players on the team messed up one of his, one of Jaws assists, like I think Jaws threw a insane like alley-oop and, you know, Shaq missed it. Shaq apologized to Jaw because he felt You're so You're kidding me. <laughs> yeah, he apologized. Oh my God. And he and he felt so bad. Like he let Jaw down. And then he also apologized to Jaw's father, T. So I thought that was really funny and indicative of just the kind of pull Jaw has on this team. I mean, they don't want to let him down. And that's the thing as a point guard, if your people aren't willing to go to war for you, um, you're not you don't have command of the team. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned T. I had no idea. So he played with um I think you wrote Ray Allen on his yes. was it, high school team. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's crazy. <laughs> so I guess basketball runs in the in the bloodlines there. I definitely it definitely does. And the funny thing is, is like T is in your face and loud, which is the opposite of Jaw. But they both kind of have that inner confidence. So his dad really is the, his biggest influence. Do you? I know we hear a lot about you know when a, a player gets drafted by a team that sometimes they'll bring like their whole support system with them. Do you get the sense that that's going to happen with with Ja, or um, you're not sure? I'm not sure, but I know that his family is so supportive. I think he had like 30 family members at one game. Um, so they tr- and and T makes the trip every single time from South Carolina. Really? To, yeah, to Murray, Kentucky, and that is a trip. So um, yeah, he has a really supportive family, and um, and that's really honestly one of the things I tried to illustrate in the piece too. Is like Murray was perfect because it's such a family atmosphere, and and Jaw loves that. So I do think whatever NBA team drafts him is going to get you know a family oriented person. Uh, so just the last thing, I guess I'll ask you, you've spent time with him, um, obviously really got to know him. What do you think is the biggest challenge that he's going to face, um, at the next level? Consistently hitting a jumper. Um, I think, I think <laughs> That's he, honest. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think he, he has it. I think he does. He's a good shooter and he's worked so hard on his jumper. Um, he can hit that three, he can hit that, um, jumper, but I say consistently because, you know, the NBA, the speed is so different and it's tough for guys to come in and just be consistent right away, especially if you're playing as fast as he is. So, you know, I think people will be looking for that from him. People knock his defense too, but um, I actually think his defense is really underrated. He has really active hands and the IQ that you see um, that helps him set up people is the same IQ that allows him to get deflection. So I think with his shot and his defense, he'll probably prove a lot of people wrong, but you know, we'll have to see how it translates. Yeah. Just a, a follow up to that. I'm just thinking of like comparisons to this year. So it's like we have um, Luka Doncic has come in and it's immediately hit the ground running. You have a guy like, um, uh, Trey Young, it's it's it, like there's been 
definitely a positive, like, but there's, it's bumpy, but it's, it's I think, probably more good than bad. And then a guy like Colin Sexton, who's come in and he's struggled. Do you get the sense that next year Ja will come in and be kind of in the middle, a little bit on the higher end, a little bit on the lower end in terms of how quickly his game will translate? I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I think he's going to do really well because he's so smart. I think the mind is what separates people at that level because everybody's athletic. Everybody's quick. Everybody has those kind of, you know, athletic intangibles, but very few people have his intelligence. And so that's going to help him pick up things quickly. I think it'll just depend on, is he in the right system? Does he have the right teammates around him? You know, is he allowed to kind of be in situations where he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot and flourish? I mean, he had, he has the ball in his hands at, at Murray state a lot of the time. So if he can, you know, still be ball dominant on his new squad, I, you know, I see no reason that he won't thrive there. Well, that is good news to whoever ends up with him. <laughs> um, oh, and, and actually, one one other thing. You mentioned he, he played on the same AAU team as, as Zion? Yes. I, yes. Somehow I didn't know that. Do they have like a relationship that you got any sense of, or is it just kind of they played together and that was it? Yeah, they're definitely cool. They enjoyed it. But Zion went on to, you know, moved on to the big sneaker um, teams and stuff. It was Their team was called the South Carolina Hornets. Um, they were a really good team, and they brought a lot of scouts to the games. Um, he was really happy for Zion's success. And that, that's, that's when I knew, that's when I kind of actually had a sense about, you know, who Jaw was. Um, just because it's like, it's hard to see your teammates getting the offers that you're not. And he never uh, lashed out at them and, you know, got jealous of them. He was just like, I'm going to keep working and my time will come. So, you know, I think that type of thinking is, is really rare. Yeah, well, it seems like his time uh, has come and um, it'll be exciting to see where he goes from here. Um, speaking of where we go from here, anything that you could give us a hint on, on uh, what's coming up for you in the near future? I have an NBA feature that I'm really excited about. Uh, towards the end, yeah, towards the end of the month. So maybe I will talk to you again. <laughs> I am going to hold you to that. Um, okay. Yeah, no, when you write about the NBA, it's like, uh, it's, it's like a little Christmas gift. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, um, thank you. I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Like I said, you are... Um, just absolutely killing it and I, I i have to ask you this does it strike you like you're so young still and you've had this meteoric rise to where you are do you, do you have to like stop and pinch yourself at some point or are you just not even like thinking about it oh man well thank you for what you said i really appreciate that um i think about it really differently i I live and die with, I'm still a baller, like in my mind, like I still, <laughs> I still think like that. I still move like that. So I live and die with every story. So I'm not thinking like, oh my God, things are going well. I'm like, oh no, this next story has to be so good. Like I have to kill it. I have to do this. And I, I hear that, you know, and so for me, I'm just, I'm just focused on the work. I, there's so many talented writers out there. I'm, I'm no, nowhere close to where I want to be. So I'm just going to keep putting in the work. Well, it shows. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for giving us a few minutes. I know uh, everybody listening is really going to appreciate it. And uh, yeah, obviously, you know, best of luck with everything in the near future. Thank you so much. Of course. And uh, of course, thank you, everybody out there listening to another episode of the podcast. Uh, we'll be back with you uh, with another episode shortly. But in the meantime, hope everybody has a great week and we'll talk to you soon.